Hey, welcome to Sister Brunch. I'm Fanchon Cox. Da-da-da. And I'm Anya Adams. Hey. And if you're joining us for the first time on Sister Brunch, we talk about Black Women Plus working in the media, entertainment, and the arts, and how they broke into it, and also how they're staying in it, and what it takes to make it through. Uh, Anya, world. what is this plus thing? What is that all about? What is... I mean, I was going to ask that. Were you going to gonna Chris, ask that? <laughs> but I think she but... means like you know me, black women. Plus. plus, like so, so like if you're not a cisgender black woman, Maybe. but you're a transgender black woman, you belong Get here with us. We, you are welcome. Now. Or a non-binary, or like a non-conforming, welcome. We all count. Um, and so, what Sister Brunch means is that you are going to hear some great stories about what it's really like for real, truly like to work in the industry. And if you want to work in the industry too, or maybe you just want to hear what things are like, um, but you will hear some inspiration from these amazing guests that we have with us. And so our guest today is Miss Mallory Howard, and she's a Los Angeles-based screenwriter and musician who grew up as the only black child or girl in various waspy communities, which I'm so excited to talk to you about because I also grew up in a waspy community. I'm so sorry. And um, I did also have to listen to screaming Christian uh, rock and uh, sing opera, and uh, you love writing fan fiction, which is very exciting. You've had a nomadic childhood, so you traveled around the world or just the States, was it? Um, The only time we went outside of the States for two years, we lived in Amsterdam. Oh, you're so brilliant. I'm lucky to have. Uh, worked with you and seen your work and you've got this original dark comedy spiraling and it's inspired by your personal experience with dealing with mental health while working in the tech industry and it is set up homegirl has an option at mrc studios and you're working on the cw's in the dark Mm -hmm. your show when you say it's set up what's happening with it right now mrc purchased it and it's in development right now initially i wrote it as an hour long and they bought it as a half hour so i'm doing the rewriting process right now and then hopefully it'll go to a network afterwards we're gonna get into some of that terminologies for those who you know kind of may not know a lot about writing in the industry this is what's great is that Mallory's are kind of our one of our first writer guests so we're really gonna dig into what does it mean to be a writer we're gonna get into all of those things but we always like to just start off by asking um how did you get into this process like what was the journey for you okay um (laughs) So I think my journey starts with my mom, actually. Um, I was born in L.A., and my mom was um, out here, uh, moved out here from Chicago with my dad for his job. Mm -hmm. And she needed a job, so she started temping, and she wound up at Paramount. And (laughs) um, she really liked the industry. And she was already a writer, but had never written a screenplay. And so it made her want to write a screenplay. And then she naturally became a showrunner's assistant to one of the (laughs) only women that was running a show at the time. Who was that? Um, Her name is Susan Seeger. She's no longer a showrunner. She's actually a therapist now. Oh, cool. Um, What was the show she was running? Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, okay. Um, Okay. And... My mom, she just kind of mentored my mom, and so my mom started writing. She, at the same moment in my life, uh, it happened for her, too, when she was, like, 26, 27. She sold a spec to uh, 
a different world. So a spec script is she wrote a, an episode yeah. of a different world, and yeah. she sold it to the writers or the creator of a different world. Correct. And they did didn't they... actually produce it. Okay. Um, but it was enough to get her her agent and a manager, and she was doing all these different, um, taking all these generals and pitches, and she had like three separate meetings with. Oh my god. And <laughs> Just, you're killing us. She's, oh. she's going to hate me for telling the story because she's actually never told it to me. I've only heard it from my dad and my grandmother. Okay. She's very private. And wow. so basically what happened was she, her very last meeting, she like pitched a sketch and then never heard from them again. And then the next season, her sketch was on the no. show. And it crushed her. Of course. And she just, I, I honestly, she stopped writing for like almost 20 years. Wow. Um, oh but she would write my sister and me little storybooks. Oh. And that's when I started writing. Because I wanted to write my sister's storybooks. And then that just kept blooming into other things. When I was in middle school, me and my friend Jamie Johnson, we would um, write little novellas, and then at recess, rather than like playing on the jungle gym, we would edit each other's. Oh my gosh! <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, then I started doing fan fiction because I really just saw a lack of black people in my favorite movies. Yes. Um, that being Lord of the Rings, and yeah. I really just had a huge crush on Legolas, and I wanted <laughs> there to be a black elf to make out with Legolas. Yes. So yes. I wrote that. Yes. <laughs> And then I was done. And then, <laughs> um, and then I went into like a I went to a film camp my sophomore year, and it was very editing. Uh, sophomore year of high school, mm-hmm. uh, it was very edit editing heavy, and so I thought like I don't want to do film anymore. This yeah. is boring. Okay. okay. Um, and I thought I wanted to be a journalist, um, which is what my mom studied in college. Okay. When I got to Santa Clara, I hated my journalism class, um, <laughs> but I loved my screenwriting class. Wow. And I was like, oh, this is how I'm a writer. Oh, I like this a lot. Love it. And uh, after I graduated, I went to my parents and I was like, I'm going, thanks for spending all this money. <laughs> I'm going to go to LA and be poor and try and be <laughs> a screenwriter. And my mom, her reaction was more of just like reliving the trauma of her sure, experience. Yes. And then my dad was more like, uh, no, that's not going to happen at all. You because need to, you're going to be an engineer. Yeah, you're, you need to do something in tech. Wow. Like that's how, that's the way the world is moving. And I tried it anyway for like about a week and I didn't realize like you needed to be here a lot longer than a week to get a job. <laughs> Um, but I, I only uh, comparatively, like all my friends at uh, Santa Clara studied engineering and business, so they had jobs before they even graduated. Right, right, right sure. Right. And, and plus, te- your mom had this amazing story where she was a temp at Paramount and right. then suddenly assisting a you know show a showrunner. Yeah. So, okay. I you know the week I was here, I realized I had to like live off credit cards, and my friends were saying like, "Hey, 90k starting salary at Uber," and oh I'm like, "Oh God. no, I don't want this anymore." So. I found a job as a copywriter at a startup uh, in San Francisco, and it was uh, a very interesting experience, which I had a mental breakdown, a oh. uh, total mental breakdown, where I was in a psychiatric ward and everything. Wow. Which is what spiraling is inspired yes. off of. Um, but I think like that was a wake-up call not only for me, but for my parents as well, because as you guys probably know, like, black people don't really talk about mental illness. Mm. Um, And, you know, leading up to that point, I told my parents, like, something's not right. Like, 
I feel this way or feel that way. And my dad would kind of write it off as, oh, this is just 20-something problems. Like, the mm. world's hard. Mm. Um, black people don't have time to be depressed. Mm. And my mom kind of, she's very religious, so she was kind of like, let's pray about it. Mm. And, it, you know, sometimes it's a chemical imbalance in your brain. Sometimes it's just your environment and or it's, you know, tra- traumatic incidences yeah. that happen in your life. And so that was kind of the moment where I had to look at myself and honor who I really am. And my parents had to do the same. My mom sat me down and she was like, I think you need to go and try and be a screenwriter for real this time. And she's like, you don't have kids. You don't have a partner. Like you are young, talented, and now's the time to do it. Mm. And so kind of with her validation, which I needed at the time, I came out to L.A. and we found a job in a week. <laughs> hey, you are listening to Sister Brunch with Anya Adams and me, Fanchon Cox. We will be right back. Join our community on Twitter at Sister Brunch and also on Instagram at Sister Brunch Podcast. Hey, hey, we're back. You're listening to Sister Brunch with Anya Adams and Fanchin Cox. Here's more of our conversation with Mallory Howard. One of my coworkers from the tech uh, job that I had, his old roommate was an assistant at Gersh. Wow. Gersh is one of the top five uh, talent agencies. Good. Yes. He was like leaving uh, as I was coming in and he was like, oh, a desk job is open. Do you want it? And I said, sure. So yes. I interviewed for it and I got hired straight to a desk without That's having to amazing. go through the mailroom. Um, and then it just, everything just spiraled after that into. When you say at a desk, what does that mean at an agency? Um, it's exactly what people are picturing. It's <laughs> sitting at a desk, it's, it's sitting at a desk mm-hmm. and you're answering phones and you're mm-hmm. scheduling and you're repping one agent or two agents. I or? had one agent. He and luckily he was in TV lit. So mm-hmm. I got to read a Great. ton of scripts. Great. And um, and when you like so you read these scripts, what to say, hey, this is a really good script. Were you kind of reading them for him or just a little bit of both? OK, Um, I would read for him but I would also read for myself and I learned a lot from reading scripts that I did not like yes Um, more than reading you know the scripts that I would read in college which are all great you know brilliant like Oscar award-winning screenplays and I had to read a lot of stuff that were just like incoming from people he met at a party and was like yeah I'll read your script and he was never gonna read it (laughs) right um and so I just saw like a lot of the stuff that I thought worked didn't really work (laughs) when I saw it in somebody else's screenplay. Can we talk about those things? Like, of course, for all of us, there's our own perspective. But could you talk about some general things that if you're sending a script into an agent, Mm -hmm. these things should be part of that script? Well, I think the first thing is to decide, and neither one is is better than the other, but really decide if you want to be a creator or a writer. And I think there's a huge difference. I think really good writers are able to adapt what whatever the showrunner's voice is. Mm. So they're really good on staff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so they have a lot of versatility. But like a creator, I think it's, it's harder for a creator to be in a, sh- uh, in a room mm-hmm. because they only hear their voice. Right, right. Um, right. And if you want to be a creator, it's going to be a little bit harder because... Um, a lot of executives don't want to ch- take a chance on new people. Um, mm. 
and they want to see that you have room experience first. So, I mean, it's great if you can do both. But um, if you want to be a creator, like, just actually having a very specific voice. Like, voice really matters. Um, a lot of what you learn in college uh, as far as structuring a screenplay, like, some of that you kind of have to throw out the window. Okay. Um, for example, in Spiraling, I had a lot of music cues in it and my professor who I, I gave the script to him and he was like take these out this is for the music supervisor <laughs> and right. it was really important to me to have those music cues in it so I like just kept them in and then cut to uh, Insecure comes out and like music is such a big part right. of that show yep. and then even in uh, uh, Big Little Lies I think that's another show where like music is very important mm -hmm. and it's like woven through the story in a very natural way so that kind of validated my instinct that like right. I, I as a musician as well like music is important it sets the tone for like this specific scene and it also can be like a character uh, be you know what they're listening to and like my my character in Spiraling, it, which is based off of me, she's a black girl and she listens to a lot of alternative music, mm. which is like, you don't really see that yeah. represented on the screen. So right. it's important that sh you show her listening to the Smiths, you know? Yes. I also think that like as a director reading a script like that, when you're reading the music cues, it helps inform like tone yeah. and right. um, visual Definitely. kind of cues that you're gonna put into this, you know, piece and collaborate with the writer. And if you if you've layered that in already, it's a, a it's just such a better script for me as a director to read. You know, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's valuable. That's so awesome. that's a really interesting that they told you not to do it. Oh, I think yeah, it's because of money, out. maybe. Probably because of money, and I think it's maybe just uh, remnants of older Hollywood. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. where everyone did their own job, right. and I think we're moving into a space where everyone kind of does a little bit of everything. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Can you go back to that point about voice as an example of if you? If you want to be a writer, it's okay to say, I, th I have a very specific experience mm -hmm. and that's when, what's going to come out in my writing. I mean, is that what you mean by voice? Definitely. And, and I, I got that advice from uh, a coordinator at Gersh at the time. Mm. I wrote a spec for girls. Okay. <laughs> and I had her read it and she was like, nobody's reading specs anymore. And it... A spec is basically just, you know, writing an episode of a show that already exists. And um, so my fix was to just change all the names, <laughs> but oh. I kept the story the same. And then I gave it to a different coordinator. And, and called it a pilot instead of a spec. Awesome. And she read it and she was like, this sounds like a girl's knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and she told me you should write something that's so specifically you, you. and that nobody else it. could write. Yeah. It. And that's it. why I wrote Spiraling. Now so then what is the what are the barriers for a black girl to do that, right? Because then I know from experience getting pitches mm -hmm. or getting great pitches that are centering black girls and women and then taking it to a company and them yeah. being you know I mean, we've experienced it so yeah how do you navigate that both being yourself and being your voice but also knowing that the the industry may come back to you and say uh either we've got too many of those which right. is always a lie or uh you have to expect 
uh, a lot of executives to compare you to the black creators that already exist. Exactly. Right. So even though my show is very much not insecure, everyone's like, oh, it's kind of like Issa Rae. And I'm like, not really. <laughs> Thank you. I love her. But yes. that is not my right. voice at all. Right. Um, and were they saying that even though it was an hour long? They were still saying that. I think it's just they saw a quirky black girl mm-hmm. and they were like, this is Issa. And mm-hmm. because Issa is the only character we have right now. Yeah. Which that is they have to refer to. Exactly. exactly. Right. Which right. is interesting because I remember like uh, yo- when I was younger watching sitcoms and you'd see like King of Queens at the same time as Still Standing, which is about like yes. working class white families. Right. And it's essentially the same show. Totally. But they see it so differently because it's right. too, like white people can be different, it's, but like they, white people are a baseline. Exactly. Yeah, they're just exactly. But yeah. you we have are, a quirky black yeah. girl, then you're trying to be Issa. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you kind of have to fight through that at, and just kind of know that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And just fight for your voice and fight that you're different. Executives like to box in people of color. And um, I I would say, I mean, I definitely think it's people of color. I think it's it's women. It's anyone. It's anyone. You just, yeah, yeah, you just come out there. You got one idea and they're like, oh, my God, you are that person. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's you see you have to really start like you're saying, you have to really fight to show your diversity and and work to be able to express the fact that you have these diverse capabilities. So it's so once you do get something sold, you you want to kind of think about like, what's my next step? And do I. Right. Do I really do another? If, if it's going to be <laughs> something about mental health, it better be effing good. Right. You know right. what I mean? Or yeah. it's set like in the 1800s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. like, like, how just, do I diversify this yes. and really build upon it right. and still show my skill? This is Sister Brunch with Fanchon Cox and Anya Adams. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment. Did you know what this is? Were you asking? Were you in your head like, what is this? I'm going to tell you. It's Sister Brunch with Anya Adams and Fanchon Cox. Now back to our interview. For me, something that's exciting about having a younger person with us and talking about your experiences, because like the fact that they've said, we want you to go from hour to half hour or vice versa. There was a period where if you were writing hour, that was all you were going to do in the same way that we're saying, like, this Mm -hmm. is the thing you do. And even just formatting the script looks different. Right. Mm And, um, but now there's Quibi, which is 10 minute episodes, right. right? Or there's all these different options. And we're even saying, Oh, if this doesn't work as a, as an app, you know, as a show, let's try it as a film. And I think fortunately it's more and more flexible around that. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, um, I think get out was when I realized like, Oh, I can do whatever I want oh. because I think Jordan Peele had been boxed in as a sketch. Yeah. Com- not even like comedy. No, but just, just like sketch. sketch. That's a good point. Key and Peele. What a per- yeah. Right. Yeah. And what he a- was on mad TV. Mad before TV. That, right? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. So I yes. just, I, and for him to make a horror film, yes. right. That was so good. That was so, so scary. Good. And, and a little yeah. funny. And good and, because. Yeah. And right. it was still his voice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, and then go to the Twilight Zone. It's like, I realize, oh, I can really do whatever I want. I'm not going to only write one thing. How do you keep yourself motivated and moving through this experience? Because you you are one of the blessed that did get your word out, your voice out. You've got something sold. But what do we tell people that, you know, one foot in front of the other? How do you do that? That's a good question. (laughs) Um, I think this is going to sound weird, but I know that I had to hit rock 
bottom for me. And I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I hit rock bottom in an industry and in a world that I didn't care about. Mm. Ooh. Mm, interesting. Because it was bound to happen at the agency because of the environment that yes. I was in. And so once I hit rock bottom in tech and then went to therapy and started getting putting myself back together, once I sat at a desk at an agency where agents are literally yelling at their assistants. My agent never uh, verbally abused me, and I feel lucky that he didn't, right. when, th- when that is should be the norm. It's like I had to realize that even though everyone around me is acting like the stakes are really high and that it's serious, like it's not that serious. Mm. And realizing like what really is important, like you're here to learn, do your job well, if your boss calls you an idiot because you forgot to add a period at the end of a sentence, like that's your boss's problem. Yeah. I think that's the other thing is like you get fired in the agency for stupid reasons. Mm. And a lot of assistants think if I get fired, it's the end for me. And that's why they're so like, because they want yeah. it so bad. They yeah. really, really want to be in this world. Yeah. You're going to bounce back. Like it, I think mm, that's the good. thing is like, you're. it's never over yeah. remembering that. And then also, I think finding good people and, and realizing, like, just because someone might make you look good in your career doesn't mean, like, they're good for your, your health mm, and good to hang out that's, with. That's, oh, my goodness. Um, and then it's, it so sucks good. because, like, therapy is, like, so good for you, but uh, it's, it's really expensive. It's really effing expensive. Have, really expensive. You, were you able to find a black woman or a person of color? And was that important to you? You know, one of the things that I learned in this industry, too, that is really good for, I think, people of color and women and queer people to hear is that just because someone looks like you doesn't mean they're here for you. Word up. Say that. Snaps are happening. And so I thought at one point it was really important for me to find uh, another black woman to talk to. And there were certain things that, yes, only a black woman could understand. Like at right. the time I was very confused about, I, Trump had just won and I was like in a interracial relationship and I was like, I'm with the colonizer. And I was like, <laughs> had needed to talk to a black woman about that. Mm. But uh, that was really the only thing. And then everything else, like it just, I just needed someone who could understand me and it didn't yeah, matter true. what yes. they looked like. Yes. Yeah. Are you comfortable talking more about mental health? I yeah. think that's something we don't talk about no, or yeah, share also, if you're comfortable. So when I was in high school, I had a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, we moved around a lot growing up, and I think that had a lot to do with it because I like m- I never had a stable home, like physical place. And so my sister and I were each other's best friends. I was constantly meeting new friends and then losing them. And once I got to high school, growing up in um, Waspy communities. Very white, yeah. The one that we grew up in Washington was a lot more, I I felt more relaxed because I saw other people of color around me, no black people, but I saw a lot of like Asian people. But when I got to high school in San Diego, I went to a very (laughs) small Christian school. I was the only black kid. And um, San Diego is very conservative and um, very racist. Mm, mm. And for the first time I was like experiencing actual like what I felt was like racism right. like Direct before I, I had like oh my god your hair is right. like cotton um, oh, but and, but it wasn't in a way of like I it hate it yeah yeah right um, but I was just like I've never seen that before but in San Diego it was like 
Mallory, do you have watermelon in your lunch today? Wow. Mallory, where's your fried chicken? Like wow. stuff like that where it's like, oh my God. <laughs> so I was dealing with that and then mm. also moving and then my parents and then trying to find friends. Mm. And I started self-harming mm. and I think I saw, like I even, I found it from like the emo music I was listening to. Mm. Um, and my mom saw one, she saw like a scar and she started crying. I've only seen my mom cry like three times in my oh life. My, my dad cries all the time, but my mom, <laughs> like she barely cries. And her solution was like, let's pray about it mm. and let's not talk about it afterwards. Right. So the only reason why I really stopped cutting was because I felt guilty for hurting her, mm. but like the issues had not been it's addressed there, at all. Right. And then in uh, college, I ha- was the victim of sexual assault, and mm. so I also didn't know how to process that either. Mm. And then also went co- going from a very strict, um, strict upbringing to like college, I went. <laughs> off yeah. like I yes. did everything yes. and didn't know didn't have any structure or anyone to really talk to about like mm. the new pain I was feeling because my first kiss was when I was 18 like I didn't mess with boys until okay. college so I was having all this new experience new pain new like didn't have anyone to talk to and then once I graduated and started in the workplace it was now bills and loans and (laughs) um, I had all this financial pressure my parents were finally divorcing Mm. so I couldn't really ask them to help me out and um, I the, t- the nature of tech, you're like getting in at like 6, 7 a.m. and you're working till like 11 p.m. Wow. Yikes. And then because it's it was a startup, it was so small and everyone was like under the age of 35. So oh. it was like college 2.0 where like after work we'd go get drinks. Yeah, right. go get drinks and get really drunk. And it just like all blended mm. in together. And I started feeling like inadequate at work. And okay. so I, for the first time ever, I was like, maybe I should try Adderall. Um, which is what my friends would do in college to like stay up and finish their papers and um, later on realized like Adderall cannot can sometimes not be okay for someone with anxiety problems mm. <laughs> um, that just like there was a week where I was just like taking unprescribed Adderall and then I had done Molly for the first time with my friends okay. and sorry mom yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> It just like all just snapped and I remember feeling like I need a break so badly. I need to like, I knew that I needed to step back, but I didn't think I could ask for help because I thought it was going to make me look weak or incapable of being an actual adult. Mm -hmm. I felt like I remember praying, it's really, really dark, but like praying a car would hit me so I could just like... Be that in was the, the hospital reason. and like recuperate. Yeah, yes. yes. and it wasn't my it wasn't, it wasn't my fault. I wasn't because right. I was weak. It was because right. somebody else hit me. Right. Yeah. Um. And mm. so there was like a happy hour. I got really really drunk, and one of my friends at work, uh, just could tell that I was like not okay, and I was like saying weird things. And when I went home, I drank more, and then I like took a, a ton of Advil. And was texting my family and friends, like, these really dark, cryptic, like, Mm-mm. goodbye, I'm sorry for tomorrow, like, texts. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And nobody really thought I was about to do something. Oh, wow. Because that's the thing about mental illness is you can project 
Like normality, like she's fine. So everyone's like, "Oh, Mallory's just, just drunk, drunk again. Right. Like she's so sad and like mm. what dramatic." Mm. But my friend uh, that I worked with was like, "No, something's wrong." So he actually came to my apartment, pulled me in an Uber, and Ubered me to the ER, and they put me on a fifty-one fifty hold because they, which is like in California, they can keep you for I think up to seventy-two hours. Um, against your will essentially if they think you're a dangerment Danger to, to yourself okay. or to other people yeah, okay. um and so honestly like i it was one of those situations where i felt like i could have lied my way out of it mm-hmm. but i it was basically my car right, hitting me. right like i knew that i needed to be here and like actually take this break even though wow. it was like um really traumatic yeah sure <laughs> join our community you can join us on twitter at sister brunch and also on instagram at sister brunch podcast now back to our interview so i was in the hospital for three days and it was really interesting just being around people who um look like our expectation of someone who struggles with mental illness Mm, like my roommate had I think she was schizophrenic like there's and she was like talking out loud to herself so it's the things that we see like on tv or we see like sadly in um, in skid row and Mm. so we think like oh yeah that's mental illness but we never think like the person sitting at the desk next to us might be struggling you know and that's when I saw that it's such a spectrum and I needed mm. to be there just as much as everybody else mm. yeah. that was in the hospital Mallory, oh, I have to say this. We're so grateful for you sharing this. Circle back to your point about voice, mm-hmm. because what you did for us just now is to show exactly that the piece that you wrote, that you got to option, was literally, specifically mm-hmm. connected to who you are and your voice. And I think it's such a great piece of inspiration to say we truly want to hear your story so I thank you for that it's amazing (laughs) I mean obviously you wrote this this piece um and it's based on you but you sitting here and actually like Raleigh telling us the story is so brave and um I'm really thankful that you did it as well because I think our listeners can really like learn something from what you've just talked about personally um and also, like, I think one of the things you touched on, because I feel like I struggle with it, is this, like, I don't even know, it's not it's not walking depression, but, like, this thing where you can, you're, you're operating, the cloud. Uh, you're smiling, and then, but there's all this yes. shit going on, and it's so true. The mm-hmm. person beside you could be going through some shit, mm-hmm. and it may not look like schizophrenia, mm-hmm. um, but it's so important, like you were saying, your friend, you know, like, to actually key in on people. Mm-hmm that you care about and really listen to what they're doing and what's happening with them. Right. So you can care for them. And I think, and not to, you know, like get all my friends who didn't reach out. No, But I think it's like, I think some people are so afraid that they're going to be wrong and then insult you. Right. Because it has such, our mental illness has such a stigma in our culture that it's like, oh, if I, if I ask Mallory if she's depressed or if she's okay, she's going to get mad at me for thinking she, me thinking she's crazy. Yeah. Which is Mm. like not worth it. Mm. Like always, if you think something's wrong with your friend or a family member, like you should always 
say something and if they're mad at you then they're mad at you but at least you know they know you care about them exactly thank that's the you. baseline of it definitely yeah, yeah. definitely thank you Mallory so cool. oh my okay. goodness sorry sorry Vanjin you can jump to that well like, now I just feel like a fool <laughs> what do you like for brunch but it is a sister brunch pat podcast so we do like to know if you have any favorite brunch when you're items. hanging with your friends yeah. <laughs> um uh, I like a, <laughs> I like an Aperol spritz. Yes. <laughs> All right. High fives on that. <laughs> you wait. So can alcohol be my yeah. favorite? Ooh, of yes. course it can be. I am I celebrating love. in the corner here. Oh, it's, it's so good. Okay. It's bitter. If you like bitter. Okay. Oh, I don't mind. So I don't mind a little bitter. If you were Thank to give yeah. some girls coming up mm-hmm. or some women who mm-hmm. are transitioning from CFO, mm-hmm. they want to be a writer, what mm-hmm. do you tell them? Um, go with your gut. Just because people look like you doesn't mean they're here for you. Um, develop, always trust your voice, even if other people don't get it. Yes. And be... Uh, trust that... If you put the right people in your life that you trust, when they give you constructive feedback, you should take it and mm. listen to them. Yes. Um, but only from people you trust. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's very good. So thank you, <laughs> the thank amazing you, Mallory. Mallory Howard. She is the writer on In the Dark, and she's also the creator of the dark comedy Keep an Eye Out for It called Spiraling. And we are so, so glad to have you thank on. You thank, you, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's it. Thanks for listening to Sister Brunch. I'm Anya Adams. And I'm Fanchon Cox. Join us next time. Yeah. Come on through. We do learn lessons. lessons. I mean, really, I'm learning so much, I might change my job. Me too. (laughs) Follow your dream, girl. Exactly. Join our community on Twitter at Sister Brunch and also on Instagram at Sister Brunch Podcast.